Again, you can find your seats. We'll get started this morning. If you could turn to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus 20. Once again, we'll be reading through the Ten Commandments, starting in verse 1. Again, Exodus 20, verse 1, if you would, read along with me. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, shall not steal, shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Let's pray. Dear Lord, our Father in heaven, Lord, once again we come to you, Lord, we come to you humbly, Lord, as we continue to walk through the Ten Commandments, Lord. God, I pray this morning that you are with us, Lord, that you would convict us of of any sin that's within our lives, Lord, that we need to repent from, to turn from, and to turn to you, Lord. God, I pray for anyone that's in this room, Lord, or listening online that does not know you, Lord, as we continue to walk through the Ten Commandments, Lord, I pray that they understand their true state, Lord, that they've been born with a, a heart of stone in depravity, Lord, that they are sinners, in need of grace. And of course, Lord, I pray that this morning we look to your Son for that grace. That as we continue to walk through the Ten Commandments and and see just how short we fall, Lord, to the standard which is perfection, that remember that your Son is that perfection and died on the cross for us, Lord, that we would turn to him and find grace. So, God, I pray that you're with us this morning in your son's name. Amen. We are, uh, again, continuing our sermon series through the Ten Commandments. Uh, We're almost done. We're at the Ninth Commandment. Um, Today, we're going to be looking at verse 16, which says, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. I have three points of the sermon this morning. They're pretty simple. 
They go from broad to specific or broad to particular. The first point is this, the ninth commandment and Israel. The second point, which is a little bit more narrowed, the ninth commandment and the individual. And finally, the ninth commandment and the heart. So let's start with the ninth commandment and Israel. Now, I believe most Christians, when they go through the Ten Commandments, they see the Ten Commandments as a set of rules, a set of laws that they are called to obey. Now, that's partly because it's true. As I've said before, the Ten Commandments are closely connected to God's character. Therefore, nine out of the Ten Commandments are part of what many theologians call the moral law. The moral law is the law that a set of laws that transcend both covenants, the old covenant and the new covenant. And since they transcend both covenant as new covenant believers, we are called to obey these laws. Again, this is partly true. The Ten Commandments are a set of laws that we are called to obey. But this really is a simplistic understanding of the Ten Commandments. Let me just ask a question. And I think this is an important question. What is the context of the Ten Commandments? Now, I believe I'm blessed as a pastor to be preaching the Ten Commandments in the context of the Ten Commandments. I don't know of many pastors that have um, preached through verse by verse the book of um, um, Exodus. There's many that have, uh, but, but there's a privilege in preaching through the book of Exodus and getting to the Ten Commandments and preaching the Ten Commandments in the context that they're found. So let me ask that question again. What is the context of the Ten Commandments? It's Mount Sinai. And God's speaking from the fire of Mount Sinai to, to Israel. The context is, is the Exodus. It's the Mosaic Covenant. The Ten Commandments, in other words, weren't given in a vacuum. They were given to the Israelites. They were given to a nation. And they are connected to the Mosaic Covenant. A covenant made between God and Israel. Therefore, the immediate context of the Ten Commandments is not the church. It's not the church. It's not individual Christians. The immediate context of the Ten Commandments, the passage that we're in, is not you and me, in other words. The immediate context is Israel. It's the Mosaic Covenant. It's a covenant made between God and a nation. And I think this is probably most clearly seen in the Ninth Commandment. Again, look at verse 16. It says this, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, I want you to think about this for a second, because most Christians have memorized or interpreted the Ninth Commandment simply as you shall not lie. You shall not lie. Well, why do they do this? It's because they're trying to apply this commandment to their lives. But that's not what the ninth commandment says. Again, look at verse 16. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. This is legal terminology. Bear false witness. You shall not bear false witness. The, the Hebrew word translated witness means a person who has first-hand knowledge of an event or a person who can testify to what he or she has seen. In Scripture, this word witness, this Hebrew word that's translated witness is used 69 
different times, and almost always it's used in a legal sense. The ninth commandment uses legal terminology, in other words. Again, verse 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And this makes sense if you understand the context, if you remember the context that this was spoken into. You think about Israel. I don't know if we put our, our wrap our mind around this enough when we go through the Old Testament, especially as we go through the Old Testament laws. It's going to be extremely important. Think about Israel. They are a slave nation. A slave nation. A, a nation that has been in slavery for generations, 400 years. Generations. They are a slave nation that has never governed themselves. A nation that didn't have a police department. They don't have a a fire department. They don't have hospitals. They don't have a government at all. There's no courtrooms. There's no governors. There's no human kings. This nation, well over a million people. In fact, I really believe one of the greatest miracles of the Exodus, and especially the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, was that Israel didn't kill themselves. Again, well over a million sinners, as we learn, God calls them a stiff-necked people, without any police department. It's a miracle. It's a miracle that they don't fall into chaos and anarchy. Now, there's a number of reasons why they didn't fall into chaos and anarchy, one of them being the ground opening up and swallowing rebellions. But one of the main reasons... Israel didn't fall into anarchy was because of the law. In other words, the law was God's grace on Israel. By God's grace, he established laws to govern the people of Israel as a nation. One of the most fundamental laws was the ninth commandment, verse 16. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. This was to protect Israel. It was to protect Israel from the abuse of its legal system. One commentator put it this way. Obviously, the whole legal system of Israel was subject to abuse, which explains why God stated the ninth commandment the way that he did. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. In the days before forensic evidence, just think about that. We have technologies to... to to help us discover who the criminal was in a, in a crime. But before the days of forensic evidence, almost everything depended on witnesses. Usually it came down to one person's word against another's. And since many crimes were treated as capital offenses, often the defendant's life was at stake. The words of a false witness could be fatal. False accusations could ultimately lead to death. Could have undermined the entire social justice, or I'm sorry, gosh, that's so in my mind. The entire justice system, which social justice system is the opposite of the justice system, just so you know. The entire justice system within the nation of Israel, especially because this justice system was dependent on eyewitnesses for crimes. This is why in God's ultimate wisdom, he created a number of safeguards 
to limit the abuse of the legal system. And I just want to give you a couple examples of these safeguards. They're all related to the ninth commandment, and so I think it's important that we look at them. Uh, there's a couple couple examples. The first one's found in Deuteronomy. It's a it's it, this uh, a safeguard uh, is put in that if there's a charge that can be brought against of someone, it has to be brought against them with two or three witnesses. Deuteronomy 15, or 19.15 says this, a single witness, let me stop there, that's the same Hebrew word, it's the ninth commandment, witness. A single witness shall not uh, suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses shall a crime be established. This was especially true for a capital offense. Numbers 35 verse 30 says this, If anyone kills a person, the murderer shall be put to death on the evidence of witnesses, plural. Same Hebrew word used in the ninth, uh, ninth commandment. But no person shall be put to death on the testimony of one witness. For the death penalty to be adjudicated, there had to be two or three witnesses. This was a safeguard in the justice system. Another safeguard was that when someone was sentenced to death in the Old Testament law, his accuser would be the one to throw the first stone in a stoning. Deuteronomy 17.7 says this, the hand of the witnesses, again, same word used in the ninth commandment, the hand of the witnesses shall be first against him to put him to death, and afterward, the hand of all the people, so you shall purge the evil from your midst. Again, this is a safeguard, because it was one thing to accuse someone of a crime. It's a completely other thing to be the one that puts him to death by throwing the first stone in the stoning. This law was to limit false accusations. It made it, in other words, a weighty thing to accuse someone of a crime. Another example of a safeguard we find in the Old Testament law is found in Deuteronomy 19.18. It says this, The judges shall inquire diligently, and if the witness is a false witness, again, the same word, in fact, the same words, a false witness. If the witness is a false witness, and he has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he had meant to do to his brother. So you shall purge the evil from your mist. Let me just stop there. Who's getting, what evil is getting, in other words, purged from the mist? The false witness. This means after an investigation, the judge should do a thorough investigation of what's going on. If it's found out that the witness is a false witness, that judge was to give the false witness the punishment that would have been given to the person falsely accused. Meaning, if a false witness falsely accused someone of a capital offense, that false witness was to be put to death. This shows the, the seriousness behind false testimonies, false witnesses. God took the matter of false accusation seriously because it really was a life or death situation in many cases. It could lead to death. But not just that. It was really a matter of national security. I just want to think about that for a second. 
Just as a side note, no legal system can survive without truth. No legal system can survive without truth, without valuing truth, without protecting truth, without seeking truth. In other words, the ninth commandment really is foundational to a free and just society. Because the ninth commandment is about truth. It's about protecting truth. The ninth commandment and all the laws that are built off it in the Old Testament that we have just kind of seen the examples in the Old Testament are all about protecting truth. They're safeguards around truth. There's a famous quote that goes like this. Where there is no truth, there can be no justice. Where there is no truth, there can be no justice. And I would add, where there is no justice, there is only tyranny. Truth. Truth is foundational to a just society, and God is foundational to truth. You know, this commandment was given to Israel, and I don't want to mix up America with Israel. Israel was God's people in the Old Covenant. The church, not America, the church is God's people in the New Testament. But where America went wrong was when we left God behind. It was only inevitable that we would leave truth behind, too. Remember, God is foundational to all these laws. Especially the Ten Commandments, which are closely related to the character of God. We are to speak truth. We are to speak truth, not lies. Because God is truth. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth. And the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John fourteen six. The ninth commandment protected truth so that Israel as a nation could be just. They could be a just nation because they valued and protected truth. Therefore, God commanded Israel to protect truth. Verse 16, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Again, this is the first point of the sermon this morning, the ninth commandment and Israel. The second point this morning is the ninth commandment and the individual. Now that we understand the immediate context of the ninth commandment, and I think it's so important to remind ourselves the, the immediate context. What, what is going on in the passage you're studying? Because we have a tendency to just look at passages and automatically jump to application to us. The Bible is not about us. The Bible is about God. And we should always be asking, what is this saying about God? And then where does it apply to us? Second point this morning, the ninth commandment and the individual. I want to answer this question now. How does the ninth commandment apply to the individual? Not just the nation of Israel. Once again, 
as we have for all the commandments up to this point, we need to look at Jesus' example of how he interpreted the Ten Commandments. Remember, Jesus took the Ten Commandments and applied them to the heart. He applied them to the heart. By Jesus' interpretation, we learn that the Ten Commandments forbid the most extreme action of a particular type of sin within the heart. Now, Jesus teaches us this in the New Testament to interpret the Ten Commandments this way, and he does this because this is the correct way of interpreting the Ten Commandments. In fact, if you didn't have the New Testament, if you just had the Old Testament, I believe you would come to the same exact conclusion of the Ten Commandments, that the Ten Commandments forbid the most extreme action of a particular type of sin within the heart. If you use Scripture, use the Old Testament to interpret the Old Testament, that's the conclusion you would get. And, and God is concerned with the heart. So let me just kind of explain what I mean since we've walked through a couple of the commandments already. Murder is the worst kind of hatred. And Jesus makes it clear that even hatred within the heart is forbidden by the sixth commandment. If you hate... You have murdered. Adultery is the most destructive type of sexual sin and lust. And Jesus made it clear that even lusting within the heart is forbidden by the seventh commandment. If you lust, that's just adultery of the heart. Similarly, if we take this logic into the ninth commandment, right? the ninth commandment forbids the deadliest type of lie the most extreme type of lie, a lie that could easily condemn someone to death for a crime he didn't commit. Therefore, since, since the, that's the most extreme, even the smallest lies are forbidden by the ninth commandment. Do you see the logic? The Ten Commandments forbid the most extreme of a particular type of sin, but everything underneath or related to that most extreme sin is also forbidden. That's how Jesus interprets the Ten Commandments. And again, I think that's the correct way, not just because Jesus is God, but because the Old Testament shows us this. And, and the third point, I'll kind of dig into that a little bit. Therefore, the Ninth Commandment doesn't just forbid false testimony in a courtroom. It also forbids everything underneath it. It forbids every type of lie, big or small. It forbids lying in a courtroom, but it also forbids white lies. Small lies, harmless lies. It forbids grand deception that could lead to major consequences, but it also forbids half truths intended to deceive. In other words, the ninth commandment applies to all types of deception, meaning if you've ever lied, big lie, small lie, half truth, if you've ever exaggerated, to make yourself look good, exaggerated in a story. Listen, you have broken the ninth commandment. You are guilty of lying. Because the ninth commandment is concerned with every type of lie. We are called to be men and women of the truth. Adam and Eve were made in the image of God. They were called to image God, and God is truth. And within, within him, there is no deception at all. Therefore, we are to model his character. We are to image his character by being truthful. 
by not lying, by not deceiving, by not bearing false witness. Again, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. So in one sense, in one real sense, even though this is where we started and we looked at the immediate context, in one real sense, the implication is that you shall not lie. It should be about the truth. But I want you to think about the ninth commandment because I think there's more than just lying here or a particular type of lying. Look at Exodus 20, verse 16 again. It says this, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. I want you to think about this. Let me ask a couple questions. What, what exactly is bearing false witness here? What is being forbidden here? Right? What is bearing false witness? For sure it's a lie. It's an extreme lie. It's one of the most extreme lies with some of the most extreme consequences to that lie. But what else is it? What does bearing false witness do? Listen. It smears the character of a person. Right? And isn't it the most extreme way of smearing someone's character? I mean, how could you smear a person's character more than taking them to court, falsely accusing them of murder, theft, or rape? It's the most extreme way of smearing someone's character. Again, what does Jesus teach us about the Ten Commandments? Everything underneath the most extreme example is forbidden. Meaning, you're breaking the ninth commandment when you falsely accuse someone of a crime, but also you're breaking the ninth commandment when you slander. You're breaking the ninth commandment when you gossip. Even if the slander and gossip is truthful. Think about that for a second. Because the purpose of slander and gossip is to smear someone's character. Let me just read what one commentator said about this. Perhaps the one spreading gossip is not lying, but he or she is being untruthful, saying things that are true, but in the context of slander is deceitful. The neighbor's mistakes, faults, and shortcomings are discussed in minute details. People realize this kind of chatter gets them an attentive audience, for it is a universal phenomenon that we would rather hear something bad about our neighbor than something good. And something dirty always sticks long after the conversation had died. As Martin Luther put in his larger catechism, reputation is something quickly stolen, but not quickly returned. Gossip is deceptive in nature because, listen, victims of gossip never get a chance to defend themselves. Philip Ryken writes this, The victim of gossip never has a chance to explain their circumstances, clarify their motives, or correct the misconceptions. Instead, they are charged, tried, and convicted in the court of private opinion. You're bearing false witness against someone. In other words, gossip may be true, but it's deceptive in nature. It's not pursuing the whole truth. Therefore, it breaks the ninth commandment. So, I want you to hear this morning just how demanding the ninth commandment actually is. 
you've ever lied, big or small, if you've ever told a, a half-truth to deceive, if you've ever exaggerated a story or exaggerated the truth to make yourself look good, if you've ever slandered someone's name or gossiped about them, if you've ever done any one of these things, you have broken the ninth commandment. You are guilty. But I want to be clear, the ninth commandment is way more demanding than that. Because remember how Jesus interprets the Ten Commandments. He always applies the commandments to the heart. God judges the heart, not just our actions. Therefore, even if you have smeared a person's character within your heart, if you have thought the worst of someone instead of the best, because Love demands that we think the best. 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says this. Love bears all things. It believes all things. means it believes the best in people. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Meaning if, if you have thought within your heart the worst of someone instead of assuming the best, you have broken the ninth commandment within your heart. And... Just like all the other commandments, by this interpretation, we have all broken the ninth commandment. We're all slanderers. We're all gossips. We're all sinners. We have all broken the ninth commandment within our hearts. And this makes sense. Because we are born literally with a deceitful heart. We are born with a heart that by its very nature breaks the ninth commandment. Jeremiah 17, 9 says this, The heart, the heart is deceitful. It lies. The heart is full of lies. And in fact, the context of this is, is that your heart even lies to you. <laughs> the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? When you break the ninth commandment with your mouth, you know what you're doing. You're exposing the heart. You're exposing the depravity. You're exposing the deceitfulness that is within the heart. You know, as we've been going through the Ten Commandments, each one of these sermons is, like, heavy. Because the Ten Commandments, as I've said a number of times, it acts like a mirror. It just reveals our heart. Reveals our heart and our need for a Savior. So this brings me to the third point this morning the ninth commandment and the heart. The ninth commandment and the heart. Now, I've said a number of times already that Jesus interprets the Ten Commandments a certain way, that he interprets his Ten Commandments at a heart level. And I've said that I believe that's the correct interpretation. And I think just the outline of the Ten Commandments shows us that. I want to look at the Ten Commandments one more time because there's this relationship that I want you to see within the outline of the Ten Commandments. 
The first commandment and the last commandment are connected. I've already talked about this, but I want you to see it again. We're going to talk about this a lot next week, obviously, with the last commandment. But the first commandment and the last commandment are connected. Look at the first commandment. This is verse 3, Exodus 20, verse 3. It says this, You shall have no other gods before me. Now, we spent a lot of time on this commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, and this has to do with worship. In other words, you shall worship no other gods. You shall worship me alone, Yahweh alone. And you shall worship within your hearts, because that's where worship takes place. Worship happens within the heart. Now look at the 10th commandment. This is Exodus 20, verse 17. It says this, You shall not covet your neighbor's house, You should not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servants or his female servants or his ox or his donkey or anything that is in, that is your neighbor's. Just like worship, coveting happens within the heart. This means, I want you to think about this, the bookends of the Ten Commandments, the First Commandment and the Tenth Commandment, deal directly with the heart. They are not external actions. They're internal motives that produce actions. In fact, you could have someone standing right in front of you who is worshiping God or not worshiping God, who is coveting or not coveting, and you wouldn't know it because it's a heart issue. And I believe this is intentional. I believe God is showing us with the first and last commandment that we are to to interpret all the commandments at a heart level. He's concerned with the heart. Again, the first commandment and the tenth commandment are connected. They have to do with the heart. The first commandment, worship of God. The tenth commandment, coveting neighbor's stuff. The first commandment deals with God. The tenth commandment deals with our neighbor. Both deal with the heart. Now look at the third commandment. There's something else I want you to see. This is found in verse 7, Exodus 20, verse 7. It says this, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now this deals with the mouth. If we are going to use God's name, if we are going to claim, claim to be God's people with our mouth, to say you're a Christian or in the Old Testament to say you're an Israelite, that you belong to God, we need to do it with reverence. Now look at the ninth commandment. Exodus 20, verse 16 says this, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Again, the mouth is in view here. If you're going to talk about your neighbor, in other words, do it truthfully. Do it in love. Believe the best. The third commandment deals with God. The ninth commandment deals with our neighbor. Both deal with the mouth. These two commandments show us the importance of the mouth. The importance of our speech, in other words. The importance of, in what we say. Now, I want you to think about this. The very outside, the first and tenth commandments, are related to the heart. Right beneath those, the third and ninth commandment, are related to the mouth. Meaning, both the heart and the mouth are extremely important. And I believe God is teaching us that they're connected. They're connected. The heart first, then the mouth. The heart first, then the mouth. And this is a teaching we see throughout Scripture. If you would, turn with me to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. 
verse 43. Luke chapter 6, verse 43. Once again, we see Jesus teaching. And he says this in verse 43. The very familiar teaching for those that have grown up in the church, for the average Christian. He says this, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor, again, does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, and grapes not picked from brimble bush. And here's the point. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, again, of his heart, produces evil. It's a straightforward teaching. A good heart produces good. An evil heart produces evil. But then Jesus adds something that I think is super interesting. For out of the abundance of the heart... His mouth speaks. I believe this is the same exact thing we see in the Ten Commandments. The heart and the mouth are important, extremely important, and they're connected. They're connected. In fact, the mouth reveals the heart. The mouth reveals the heart. Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Meaning, if you lie, if you break the ninth commandment by lying, it just shows that your heart is full of lies, because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you slander, that just shows that your heart is full of slander, because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you are a gossip, that just shows that your heart is full of gossip. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The mouth reveals the heart. They're connected. The mouth is, is what reveals if, if the heart is lying, slanderous, or a gossip. The mouth just reveals the depravity of the heart. Turn to James chapter 3, verse 2 now. James, chapter 3, verse 2. I just think the Bible is so amazingly consistent. People that say the Old Testament is nothing like the New Testament just don't know their Old Testament, probably don't know their New Testament well. James, chapter 3, verse 2 says this. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says. The context of this passage is the tongue. It's just talking about speech, the mouth. If a man doesn't, doesn't stumble in what he says, right, with his mouth, he is a perfect man. Why? Because as Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Therefore, the mouth reveals the heart, and, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. Because the mouth and the heart are connected. 
let me just ask a question, a couple of questions. Have you ever said something you wish you hadn't? I mean, there's times I say things and I, I can almost grab them and like want to pull them back, like as they're coming out of my mouth. Have you ever sinned with your mouth? What you have said? Have you ever lied or gossiped? That's just a revelation of the depravity within your heart. You know what else? We have all sinned this way. I mean, I think if I asked every single one of you, you'd be like, yeah, I have sinned this way. But just in case there's a few of you that are like, I've never said anything wrong with my mouth before. Look what James says in chapter 3, verse 7. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. Just think about that for a second. I mean, if you've gone to a zoo, just think about it. Like, they had to capture that animal at some point and bring them in. Or you go to SeaWorld and see the tricks these massive animals are... I mean, man has tamed every type of animal. Verse 8. But no human being can tame the tongue. No one. It's untamable. It's uncontrollable. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Now let me just stop there and think about the connection that we see throughout all of Scripture. What does this tell us about our hearts? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's what Jesus says. You know, when you first read the Ten Commandments, with just a simplistic understanding, I, I just remember growing up and hearing the Ten Commandments and not really understanding exactly what is being taught and what is being commanded in the Ten Commandments. With a simplistic understanding, it's pretty easy to fool yourself into thinking, I, I'm a pretty good person. <laughs> I've never murdered anyone. I've never physically committed adultery. I've never falsely accused anyone of a crime. When you interpret the Ten Commandments just externally and physically, and you know, it's easy to fool yourself. In fact, your heart's so deceitful, it will fool you into thinking that you're a good person. But when you truly study the Ten Commandments, and when you interpret them properly, you realize very quickly that Jeremiah is exactly right. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. The Ten Commandments, again, act like, acts like a mirror. Showing us the depravity within our hearts. Showing us our need for a new heart. Again, look what James says. James, chapter 3, verse 8, says this. No human being can tame the tongue. Listen, this is true without Christ. No human being can tame the tongue without the power of Christ. Without a changed heart. This is what one pastor says about this. He, he said this. When James says no, no man can tame the tongue, James is stating that no man by himself can subdue the tongue. 
This is not to say that God cannot bring it under control. While the tongue cannot be controlled by man, the tongue of the regenerate person can be controlled by the indwelling Holy Spirit. In other words, those that are born again, truly born again, have the power to control the tongue. Those who have the Holy Spirit living within them now have the power to tame the mouth, the tongue. When God transformed us, he gave us the capacity for new, redeemed, holy speech, and he expects us as his children to speak only that which is holy and right and true. Through the power of Christ, we have the capability now in Christ, with a new heart, we have the power to control the tongue. We have the power to obey the ninth commandment. I just want you to hear what Galatians 2.20 says. It says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live, in the flesh, I live by faith, and the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Let me just end by saying this, and I want to talk to two groups of people, because I feel like I have to, every single commandment, I have to talk to two groups of people. Those that are saved, truly saved, have a regenerated heart, have the Holy Spirit living within them, and those that are not. If you are a Christian this morning, we are called to control the tongue. We are called to obey the ninth commandment. And in Christ, we have the power to do it. Ephesians 4.29 says this, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Let me just ask a question. Are you very careful in what you say? Are you speaking truth in love? We're called to speak truth, but we're called to speak truth in love. Do your words build up or tear down? Do they fit the occasion? Do they give grace to those who hear? If you are a Christian, we need to be careful in what we say. But let me talk to the other group of people now. If you're not a Christian this morning... If you're not a Christian, if you're listening online, if you're in this room, you're not a Christian, I, I just want to be as clear as I can be and honest as I can be as I have been throughout all the Ten Commandments so far. You need a new heart. Your mouth just reveals the need of a new heart. You need to be born again. You need the grace offered to you by God through Christ, His Son who came and lived a perfect life. He never stumbled once in what he said. Because his mouth was connected to a pure heart. A sinless heart. He never sinned, but he died on the cross. He died on the cross for your sins. And was raised on the third day, and whoever believes in him will be saved. Trust in him.
dear God, our Father. God, I am so thankful I can call you Father. I am so thankful that you have revealed yourself as a loving Father who has adopted us, who who put their faith in your Son, Lord, that you have adopted us into your family because I know I am a sinner. And 1 John tells me, if I come to you as a father and ask for forgiveness when I sin, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But I know it's, it's so hard walking through the law, Lord, and walking through the Ten Commandments as our hearts get revealed before us, as, as our, our shortfallings get revealed before us, Lord. That we know that we're sinners, and even for us that are saved, that have the power in Christ not to sin, Lord, we still fall short, yet there is grace. God, I pray that as we feel the guilt, Lord, of not living the life that we were called to live, Lord. That for those that have put their faith in your Son, Lord, that we can feel guilt-free because that guilt has been paid for on the cross. That we know that you are a loving Father and that you'll love us no matter what. Lord, help us God, be a church of truth. Lord, help us be a, a body that, that only builds up, that never tears down. God, I pray that if we ever catch ourselves in gossip, Lord, that we would stop and repent in the moment. That we would love one another by speaking truth in love always. God, convict us of that so that when we go out to the community and proclaim the good news, people know it's coming from a trustworthy source. Be with us, in your son's name. Amen.